A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. If you compare an egg and a sperm, an egg is probably 10,000 times bigger. Than a sperm so a sperm doesn't actually bring that much to the party apart from its dna the rules were if you had started your fertility treatment you could complete your fertility treatment we were actually inundated with shipping um, embryos all over the world we in fact we've never been busier so what type of things provides good embryo quality the egg's the major one and what provides good egg quality it's going to come down to two things almost in entirety. Hello and welcome. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to My Surrogacy Journey, the podcast. I am one half of two dads. I'm Michael. And I'm the other one. I'm Wes, <laughs> the better looking and brainier one. <laughs> Here we go. He's had a glass of fizz. He's showing off. So in this episode, we are going to be talking about all things important related to egg and sperm. And we're going to be speaking to some experts. So Lyndon Miles is a consultant embryologist and the clinical director of a clinic called CIGW in Wales. And Kirsty Crompton is the director of business development for a cryo shipping company called Cryopore. So we're going to be asking them about sperm health and what makes a good embryo and we're going to have a quick fire round at the end so we're joined today by Lyndon and Kirsty, and we're going to be talking everything eggs and sperm and we're also going to be covering those vital and often really misunderstood elements around how do you ship gametes or egg or sperm how do you ship them internationally Lyndon, give us a bit more information. Who, like, like, I feel like I'm on blind date. So, Lyndon, who are you and where did you come from? <laughs> Ironically, I was once on blind date. No, you weren't. <laughs> now, you know we've got to talk about this now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was this Cilla Black or Paula Grady? I was contestant number three and, uh, and I got picked. And, uh, I'm... No, you didn't. Yeah, yeah. And I went, went off on a date to, uh, to uh, Vilnius in Lithuania. <laughs> I love this. This was not expected. This is going to be in the outtake, so we're going to go back to the main question. Can you tell us uh, a bit about yourself, where you work, what you do, and how you're related to this particular podcast? So, a bit of history. I've been an embryologist now for about 27 years, working in various clinics, most of them in the UK, but six years in the United States, doing things over there. Then I came back to the UK and in 2010 set up 
uh, my own clinic, uh, CIGW, the aim of which was to try and follow the American model, which I thought worked incredibly well for patients. And so the clinic has now been open for 11 years. And in the ensuing period, we've opened clinics in uh, Swansea, Bristol, and also Plymouth. And uh, in recent years, while on that journey, is where I met Mike and Wes and then became involved in my surrogacy journey to, to consult to some extent from scientific points of view as to egg sperm and embryos, which I guess is why I'm here right now. And also, Lyndon, let's just also clarify, you sit on our advisory board, so you're one of our advisory board members. I am indeed, yes. Amazing. Well, thank you, Lyndon, and welcome. Kirsty, let's have a bit of an overview from you. Uh, hi, I'm Kirsty Crompton. I've worked in the fertility industry for just more than 16 years. I've worked for a couple of companies, Research Instruments and Vitrolife, um, working with the labs predominantly, um, selling products such as Culture Media, and various other things. Since last year, I have recently moved to work for a company called Cryoport, shipping gametes and embryos on a global scale. And I'm their business development director for those guys. And that's how I met Wes and Michael. Amazing. Well, thank you both. So as Wes mentioned, today's episode is all about eggs and sperm and shipping of gametes. So Lyndon, Sperm health, it seems to be clinics or just healthcare professionals are, are focusing more and more on sperm health than they, they ever have before. And everyone's wanting to get fit for fertility. And I'm curious to get your view on why has there been this notable shift in focusing on sperm health? I think that's probably because certainly for the last few decades, the focus has almost entirely been on the female and, and to some extent, in recent years, we've seen pregnancy rates start to plateau a little bit. So to some extent, we're questioning whether from an egg point of view, we may be reaching a biological limit of what we can do pending any further change. I think it's fair to say that in recent years, men have been a little bit ignored. And one of the reasons for that, of course, was the development of, of ICSI in 1993, before which if there was a male factor issue, they were much, there were much deeper investigations done. Now, it's, mm -hmm. it's very easy now when there's any concerns just to switch directly over to ICSI. So I think some of the things that you, you may be referring to or may refer to, things like diet and men taking supplements, the, the common ones like vitamin E and selenium and zinc um, may have benefit on the sperm. Which somebody could do dietary changes or take multivitamins and, and even three or four months later we may look and there may not be a change in count or motility which is I think what most people look for but there could be a, a difference in the DNA and, and one thing in particular which always comes up is smoking that's one of the things that has a real negative effect on sperm health but by looking after diet and exercise and as they say everything in moderation then there's, there's certainly a possibility that you can improve sperm parameters. So you could improve things like count and motility, but also the things that are arguably as important, if not more important, that we can't see like DNA. Uh, Lyndon, you mentioned there ICSI. So for those people who are listening who, who don't really know what ICSI means, could you just kind of give an overview of what that means? Yeah, so, so there's, there's obviously ver various treatments that fertility clinics do. One of the first of which is IUI or interuterine insemination, which as the name may suggest, involves us um, basically taking a sperm sample, preparing it and putting it back into the uterus at the time when eggs are being released. 
when we go on from that, we go into slightly more invasive treatments. The most commonly known one is IVF. But effectively to do IVF, we will take eggs from the female and we'll take a sperm sample from the male, which is almost certainly going to be one that has normal parameters. So is a, is a good sperm sample. It has the right amount of sperm that are swimming, the right amount of sperm in terms of numbers from World Health Organization point of view. However, if there's any concerns about any of the sperm parameters, we can use a treatment called ICSI. So ICSI stands for intracytoplasmic sperm injection. And the name arises from the fact that we can pick up individual sperm and inject them into the middle of, of an egg, the cytoplasm, the fluid inside the egg. And with ICSI, we can effectively bypass some of the barriers of fertilization. So if we do have a, a man who has, for instance, a low count or has low motility, so low percentage moving, or indeed has poor morphology, so the shape of the sperm are, are poor, then by doing ICSI, where we actually pick up an individual sperm and inject it directly into an egg, rather than with IVF, we just put 200,000 sperm around the egg and let Mother Nature do its thing, then with ICSI, like I said, we can bypass those barriers. So ICSI tends to be a treatment of male fertility. So it tends to be when there's a, a problem with the sperm, though I'll just do two very small asides to that. The first of which is that no matter how good a sperm sample is and how normal it looks, and no matter how good a dish of eggs may look, there's still a possibility that when you put eggs and sperm together that fertilization may not happen. The likelihood of that is probably less than 5%. Now, for somebody who, who may be using donor eggs, for instance, which are, which are a lot harder to obtain, uh, especially for somebody perhaps going into a surrogacy agreement, then I'm more inclined to not want to take that 5% risk. So in some of my patients, even if there is normal sperm parameters, I'm inclined to, for the patients to consider what we refer, refer to as IVF ICSI split, which as the name may suggest would involve, if a patient, for instance, had 10 eggs retrieved from them, I'd be a bit more inclined to do five of those eggs with IVF, where we put the eggs and sperm together and let Mother Nature do its thing, and maybe five of them we do ICSI, where we take an individual sperm, inject them into the eggs. And by doing that, should that uh, individual or couple be unfortunate enough that they fall into that 5% group where the IVF ones don't fertilize, then the ones that we inject with ICSI sort of act as an insurance policy. And I think the one thing that, that I would add to that, and a question that very often comes up when I refer to that is, well, if that's the case, if by doing ICSI you can more or less take away the risk of fertilization failure with IVF, then why don't we then ICSI every patient and not just do IVF? And we have to remember that we're trying to make um, children for people in the least, least invasive, least expensive way we can. And we want to do it in a, in a way that's like nature, like, like physiology. So whereas um, with ICSI, I would choose a sperm and I would inject that sperm into an egg with a needle, which of course is invasive. Um, with IVF, the sperm would swim up to the egg and fertilize it. And although there is no difference in the pregnancy rate to the patient of which of those two treatments I do, we always want to, of course, go the most natural route when we can. Lyndon, what contributes towards the best embryo possible? What are the key components to giving the embryo the best chance? Yeah, the way to make a good embryo is 
I wouldn't say entirely, but it's almost mostly down to the egg. If you compare an egg and a sperm, an egg is probably 10,000 times bigger than a sperm. So a sperm doesn't actually bring that much to the party apart from its DNA. Also, if you look inside an egg, an egg contains what you could consider to be fuel cells, which we refer to as mitochondria. And it's, it's those, those batteries, if you will, that are inside the egg that are the power that make that egg do everything that it needs to do, certainly in the first few days of its development as an embryo. The, the egg probably provides 500 to 600,000 of those batteries. The sperm provides probably 75 to 100. Wow. So, so it's a tiny number from the sperm. And there's some evidence to suggest that the little batteries, the little mitochondria that the sperm provide, the egg actually immediately destroyed them. So th there's not a great deal the sperm brings to the party. And when we watch embryos develop, after fertilization has happened, we'll watch the embryo grow for the first three days. And for the first three days it grows, it's growing almost entirely based off what it's taken from the egg. It's not until the embryo gets to three days of age that you see some impact of the sperm. So what type of things provides good embryo quality? The egg's the major one. And what provides good egg quality? It's going to come down to two things almost in entirety. So the first one would be the age of the patient. Uh, it's a fairly well-established fact that as a patient ages, their chance of pregnancy or a live birth starts to decrease and the chance of miscarriage starts to increase. If I was to look at eggs, for instance, from a 30-year-old, a 30-year-old who has no normal hormones, and I'll refer to the hormones in just a second, but if I looked at those eggs, I'm expecting probably 70, 70 to 80% of those eggs to be genetically normal. And therefore, there's a good chance that when they fertilize, I will have 70 to 80% of those embryos being genetically normal. If I'm treating a patient in their mid-40s, over 90% of those embryos will be genetically abnormal. So, so the one thing about DNA inside an egg, it's exactly the same age as the woman. So unlike any other cell of the body, like a skin cell, which is probably no more than a few weeks old, and the DNA inside it is a few weeks old, an egg cell is unique to the human body. So if I have a 45-year-old woman, her eggs contain 45-year-old DNA. And wow. DNA does not stay stable. And over the years, it will start to break. In sperm, you don't get that because sperm replenishes itself. So every 80 days, the body's making sperm and the DNA inside it is, is relatively fresh, albeit things can impact it, such as people's jobs and uh, smoking, of course, which I, which I made reference to. So age has a huge impact. The other thing that has impact is a hormone that we refer to as AMH or anti-malarian hormone. Anti-malarian hormone is provided by the follicles, which are basically little fluid-filled sacs in the ovaries which contain the eggs. And theoretically, a younger woman would have more follicles than an older woman, meaning that her AMH hormone would be higher because she produces more because of the abundance of these follicles. As the AMH level that hormone level of a woman falls so too do a chance of conception so although there are several things the main things are female age because of genetics the amh hormone also the cause of infertility and i, I won't go on 
too much about that. But for instance, you could re refer to conditions like polycystic ovaries, where sometimes a patient with, with, like that may get poorer egg quality. Then moving over to the sperm and uh, to talk relatively briefly about that. So like I said, the sperm doesn't bring a huge amount to the party, certainly not for the few, first few days of development of an embryo. What it does bring is the DNA. And there's a couple of things that are important there. So for somebody, for instance, who drinks excessively, smokes excessively, doesn't exercise, perhaps has a poor diet, then if you were to look at the, the DNA inside the sperm, and if, if we picture the DNA as looking almost like a spring, that spring would probably have little breaks in it. And that can affect the way an embryo develops once it's been fertilized. So somebody having a better lifestyle would have less breaks. And then the one other thing to add to that is that the DNA inside a sperm, inside a sperm head, is much like an overfilled suitcase that's been stuffed full and then somebody sat on it to lock it shut and it's really packed. And when the sperm gets inside the egg, that suitcase, to use my analogy, has to immediately pop open and release all of its contents so that the DNA can start doing its thing. And in some men, the suitcase, to refer to the analogy, can sometimes be opened while it's still in their body before, rather than before it gets to the eggs. So there are some checks that you can do on men to check their DNA. I'd be more inclined to do that on patients who perhaps have poor parameters or may be dependent on their medical history. But I guess in, in conclusion to my very long answer to your question, I would say that it's fair to say that eggs bring more to the party. So they're the, they're the key thing in having good embryos and having a good chance of conceiving. <laughs> this is just so cool that I'm learning. It's literally like it's a, my biology GCSE all over again. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Lyndon, obviously, myself and Wes have been through 
treatment and you know you, you you alluded to a minute ago that you you get those calls when your eggs are being fertilized you get that call on day one day three day five etc letting you know how your eggs and embryos are developing with that in mind all hours got frozen on day five but you often hear people's embryos being frozen after blastocyst at day six what's the what's the difference and what is one more favorable than the other sure so patients will probably become familiar when they embark on treatment like ivf or ICSI that embryo transfer can be carried out on day two day three day five occasionally but rarely on day six however as you say it's not uncommon for embryos to be frozen on day six so so the reasons for these choices due to several things there's there's a bit of a trade-off from an embryologist point of view with keeping an embryo outside the body for as long as we can to help us pick the best embryo versus we don't want to keep the embryo out of the body for any longer than we need to simply because the body can arguably provide things to the embryo that the the field of IVF hasn't yet caught up with and and to give an example of that a uterus for instance can provide something called growth factors which can act upon an embryo and we're still some years away as a field in IVF to be able to mimic those in the lab so so that's the trade-off on the flip side if we put embryos back on day five, which, like you said, we refer to as blastocysts, that's arguably more physiological because we're putting back a day five embryo into the uterus at a time when it should be in the uterus if a patient had conceived naturally. Whereas if we do a transfer on day two or day three, we're putting an embryo into the uterus when actually physiologically, if that patient had conceived, that embryo would still be in the fallopian tube. So how, how we make that decision comes down to this effectively. So I always look at it that if a patient, for instance, had two embryos available and they want to have two back and they meet criteria to have two back, then I have to ask myself whether there's a benefit for me to grow those embryos today three or today five, for instance, and put them back then when if I put them back into the uterus, they could be exposed to those growth factors that we can't mimic. On the flip side, if I have a patient who has, uh, certainly in my hands, four embryos or more, and very often patients can have seven, eight, nine, ten embryos, when that's the case, not only is it difficult, but it's almost impossible to select the best embryo on day two or day three of development. And, and I, I, to use another analogy, it's, it's a little bit like a marathon race where if you do a embryo transfer on day three you've got a good idea which ones are going to win the race but if you wait until day five that's more like the 25 mile mark of a marathon race less of them will make it there but the ones that do have got a better chance of winning and if we go back to our earlier discussion about about sperm and where sperm starts to influence an embryo so from day three onwards the sperm will start to have effect on how the embryo develops because of that, from day three to day five, it's very unlikely that all of the embryos will make it. So if we have 10 embryos on day three, it may be that only 50% of them make it to day five, but that's helped us pick the best embryo. So if I had, hypothetically, if I put in 50 patients, two embryos each on day three, and in 50 patients, two embryos back on day five, I would see more twins in the day five group because I've grown those embryos longer to help me select which embryos have a better chance of implanting. 
And it's because of that, in the recent years, a push to put back single embryos rather than two to, to aim to limit the risks of twins and all of the risks that come with that, that our preference as a field has moved to day five transfer because that enables us to put back a, a single embryo, which we have the knowledge has a better chance of implanting just because we've grown it for longer. Wow. Well, you know, that I'm just like so like listening implicitly and I think I'm sure our listener are gonna, is going to be the same. Now, Lyndon, I need to move on to Kirsty. That was just so amazing in terms of that type of education. So Kirsty, great to have you with us today. What is cryoshipping? Tell us the basics. Okay, so cryoshipping is basically you are shipping gametes or embryos, so eggs, sperm, embryos, from one clinic to another on a global scale and maintaining cryogenic temperature in a um, a tank or sometimes they're known as shippers or dewers throughout the entire journey. Amazing that uh, technology allows us to do that just for my benefit. So what is that? What is the temperature that that those gametes are shipped at? Uh, Minus 196. Whoa. (laughs) The current climate in terms of people not traveling for fertility treatment. Have you you seen the the dial change and an increase in demand for intended parents wanting to ship gametes because of COVID? Yes, definitely. So prior to COVID, things were just busy, like as normal. And then COVID hit. And to be honest, once the fertility clinics closed, we were not sure how things were going to sort of pan out because obviously we had commercial flights that were stopping. So, you know, nobody was aware of of how things were going to go. But actually with patients sort of being stranded on different continents and the rules were if you had started your fertility treatment, you could complete your fertility treatment we were actually inundated with shipping um, embryos all over the world. We, in fact, we've never been busier. Well, f- firstly, amazing that you can do that service and give that comfort and just put people's anxiety at ease that that you know that whole process and family building can still continue um, despite the pandemic. So for the listener today, how does Cryoport vary from other shipping companies? So what we do is that we... First of all, we, we have our own shippers that are validated. So that's really important. So so whichever company you're using, you should ask if they've got a validated shipper, even if you're using the shipper from a fertility clinic. And then what we do, which is specifically different, is that we requalify after every one journey. So most companies or clinics will requalify once a year. So that's where you check the shipper for things like hairline fractures, the vacuum, you'll check, lots of different things, just to make sure that it can maintain that temperature throughout the journey. And then we have a monitoring system that uh, measures a multiple of parameters such as humidity, tilt, temperature, the GPS, all in sort of near real time. So all of these things are constantly being monitored and tracked. And we uh, provide then sort of a live view system, which is a portal for the clinic to be able to log into so that the sending clinic and the receiving clinic can both log in and track the shipment throughout the journey. Super fascinating that you can follow that journey of your embryos. And I suppose it's really it's really important because, you know, for some people, what they're shipping is really precious cargo. Yeah. They may be the only ones that they have left and mm-hmm. may not be able to produce any more embryos. Kirsty, what what are some of the key factors that intended parents should consider when they are potentially thinking about shipping, you know, gametes, embryos, eggs, sperm? So what would you consider being some of those real key 
factors to consider when they're thinking about whether shipping is for them? So first and foremost, it's if the company that you're going to use, if their shipper is validated and do they requalify it, that's the first thing. The next thing I would say is the country that it's going to, because obviously there are many, you have to do customs paperwork, there's regulatory laws to consider. So once you know the country, then it's the clinic. So the sending and receiving clinic, you need to make sure that both of those are licensed to send and receive. And then the company that you're using, are they going to hand carry the shipper? Or a certain logistics company that doesn't offer hand carry, how are they then going to bypass x-ray? So I'm assuming x-ray is very damaging to the gametes if they were to put it through an x-ray machine. Yes. So for gametes and embryos, we say no x-ray, but sperm, most companies will will just x-ray when shipping sperm. I think it's one of those things that people just don't consider. And I think that's why, you know, we partner with Cryoport and we offer a bolt-on to our members to take care of all of those elements uh, with my surrogacy journey. So, and I think one of the reasons that we wanted to talk to Kirsty today is about really trying to understand the complexities of it and understanding the complexities of doing it yourself and why trying to work with someone to support you in doing this is so vital. So we're gonna quickly go into quick fire round. Now, there's a lot of areas to cover. So, Lyndon, I'm going to ask for really punchy answers here, please. Like shoot so, from the hip now, Lyndon. Shoot from, that's probably the worst analogy to actually <laughs> say in this moment. Don't shoot from the hip. Can you give us your... Oh, my God. Can you give us your... Uh, oh, I'll shut up. Where's carry on? Uh, so, Lyndon, best foods to help improve sperm quality. Wow. I don't, I don't think there necessarily is, is a food. I mean, I, I guess any, any foods that are, that are high in antioxidants and, li- and like any, any type of medical condition or if you go to see a doctor about anything, they're always going to tell you to try and eat healthy. So fruits and vegetables and oily fish and try and limit red meat. It's going to be all of those things. Uh, and the, the one thing that comes up all the time with fertility for some reason is pineapple. And it, once it gets mentioned, everybody is literally on it. And it seems like people are on a, a diet of pineapple with pineapple. I wouldn't recommend a single food. I'd just say try and everything in moderation, try and eat a healthy diet. And, and it certainly doesn't hurt for people to take some of the fertility supplements. And for instance, the male ones will contain amounts of things like vitamin E, zinc, selenium, which are some of the big players with reproductive health in men. Lyndon, I said quick fire here, you know, this has got to be quick fire. <laughs> Next one. So what is sperm motility? It is the percentage of the sperm that swims. Why is sperm quarantined? Sperm's quarantined be- because before use, we have to screen it to see if there's any infectious disease. Perfect. Are embryos more resilient to freezing than eggs or sperm? Definitely they're more resilient to eggs. If you freeze egg, an egg is one cell. It's like a, a bag of water. So you've got one bag of water to survive. Hence, maybe 80 to 85% will. An embryo, 98%. And sperm, just by the virtue of the number of them, enables you to be able to accept that some of them don't survive. Amazing. What is a normal sperm count range? A World Health Organization criteria, sperm count should be 15 million sperm or more. But of course, other parameters come in like motility progression and morphology just this one i'm gonna die here so asking for a friend uh, (laughs) why why does sperm sting so much when it gets in your eye (laughs) 
Do you know, I genuinely don't know the answer to that, but I would, I, would, I would have to assume that it isn't what's in the sperm, but rather the viscosity of it. Because upon, upon ejaculation, it's very viscous, it's very treacle-like. And I would imagine that that is what would make the eye sting rather than what's in it. Wow. I'm so glad you got that one. Right, so on a typical egg retrieval, how many are usually retrieved? Ideally between 5 and 15, that's the best range. Most people who produce eggs from birth are born with the full quota. So what is that approximate amount? Well, when somebody's in utero, when they're a baby in their mother's tummy, they may have 5 million. By the time oh they're born, God. it'll be down to a million. By the time they have their first period at about age 11, they're probably down to about 500,000. So by the time the reproductive years kick in, they're well below 100,000 and are probably losing about 30 eggs a month. Lyndon, is there a success rate or ratio on eggs retrieved to embryos created? Eggs retrieved, you would expect roughly 60 to 70% of them to fertilise. 100% of those probably grow to day three, maybe 50% to day five. So that was the end of our quick fire round. <laughs> Thank you very much for participating. Uh, firstly, I'm... Um grateful for Wes for asking the question about his poorly eye. We've been worrying about his little eye blessing. <laughs> but we're all sorted. Everything's fine in the world. Thank you, Lyndon and Kirsty, for joining us today. That was a really interesting and sperm-blowing episode. Oh, my God. If you like the episode, then please go and listen to the rest of the series. So where can they find us again, Wes? You can find us on other Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, or on my Surrogacy Journey member portal. And the website address is www.mysurrogacyjourney.com. And we have another episode for you next week. Thanks for joining Bye. Bye. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.